0: Thank you for listening. This is Getting to Know You, a podcast introducing Jewish Federation of the Desert CEO Alan Potash to leaders, influencers, and people of interest in the Coachella Valley. I'm Jeff Hawker, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Alan Potash. Jeff, it's good to see you again. The week has gone by quickly. They always do. (laughs) (laughs) Those seven days, they just kind of spin
1: around. Who did you bring today for
0: me to talk to? Well, I'm excited. Uh, I've known uh, Mike Thompson for quite a while, and he is the CEO of the LGBTQ Community Center of the Desert. Welcome to our podcast.
2: Thank you both. It's great to be with you this afternoon.
0: Thank you, Michael. It's nice to meet you. So we try to do three basic things.
1: We want to hear about your story. Why did you come here? And
2: um what do you do here? So let's start with who are you? Why are you here? Not um, here in this office, but <laughs> why are you in the desert? Um well uh, first, I'm first I'm curious if I'm a leader, an influencer, a person of interest. All All three. So, uh, <laughs> we'll find out after we'll find out after the <laughs> podcast. So what brought me to the desert? Yeah. Yeah. Um uh, curiosity, I think, most of all. Um, I was working for a national LGBTQ organization and realized I felt a little disconnected from what was happening in local communities. And I happened to stumble upon the fact that the Kind of fledgling community center here was looking for an executive director. So I reached out to someone I knew on their board and, and was met with, Oh, you wouldn't be interested. It's too small for you. And I'm like, that's exactly why I'm interested because the, the, the growing and changing demographic of the Coachella Valley, I felt deserved a vibrant, really even flagship LGBTQ center. And so that was the catalyst was um, in 2013, what started as curiosity. Well, I think it's very similar to to my story, although this isn't a fledgling Jewish
1: federation. Uh, It's been around since the early 60s. But I think the community has transformed dramatically. Uh, And I'm curious to know what you've experienced since your that since you got here, and how has the community changed? And
2: compare it to where you were before. Where were you before coming to the desert? Yeah, I was. I was living in Los Angeles. I was working a fledgling for, community. A, right? a, a fledgling <laughs> community, right? right? Right. Easy to navigate. Small, little, you know, one horse town. Um, no, uh, I was working for an organization called GLAD. Um, oh, pretty that pretty was, um, and and you know, GLAD's work was very important. Uh, really changing hearts and minds through the way stories about queer identifying people were told. It was the the beginning of it was in the early uh, AIDS crisis, mm-hmm. and the way stories of gay men dying were being told by news outlets was not acceptable. And so then GLAD was formed from that. And so GLAD worked with uh, news outlets and uh, production and studio companies to help tell stories of LGBTQ people. Um, and so. So now I got so distracted by um, talking about what I was doing. I forgot the actual question. <laughs> well, how, well, where'd you come from? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, where, I was where do- were your roots? Yeah, I was doing that and and had a long history of doing uh, LGBTQ advocacy work. I think I. Um, Started in 20 years ago, I was working on the opposition campaign to the marriage amendment in the state of Utah. And I actually took the job because I was an Apple researcher. No, I was actually just on the on the ground, really organizing. And um, and I realized I took the job because I'd been doing consulting work and it was like, oh, this is a great seven month gig. I had to give me a chance to live someplace that I hadn't lived before and I realized that I had not been paying attention, that there were strategies and movements of people in place Uh, organizing specifically to prevent me and my community from experiencing all the liberties that we should have as uh, full members of our society. And so I decided that I need to start paying attention. I need to get active. And that really has been been the catalyst of what has become my career. That's a a great foundation story. Uh,
1: You know, many minority groups go through the same challenge with uh, the misinformation or the disinformation is out there. We're dealing with that in the Jewish community. How did you kind of learn the skill set to be an advocate and be able to be front and center in telling the story of your area of interest?
2: Yeah, thanks. It's a great question. I think it really is, you know, I'm a believer in the, just the natural evolution of things and I feel like, you know, my life prepared me for this work. You know, I am I'm, I'm an adopted kid and so I think early on I I learned the value, kind of on a DNA level, the value of relationship. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I think having an absence of that early on really treasures the relationships that were mo- most important, you know, through all of my schooling, um, really got involved in, in leadership um, roles. But um, at the center of that was always creating meaningful connection. And so my advocacy is based in that. So this is a very sensitive question I'm going to ask you.
1: I don't know when you learned that you were adopted, but um, when, you're, when you're finding out who you are, You realize that you're an outsider in society. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know if there's a parallel between the work that you do and
2: being a child that was adopted. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Absolutely. I mean, it rings true. I mean, my parents' um, story is very common. They were married for 10 years. My mom hadn't been able to... uh, uh, Carry a pregnancy, they adopted me. My parents then had two biological children. Right, took the pressure off. Right, um, and so I always knew I was adopted. Right, I, I and I never uh, felt not a part of my family in the way I was treated, but in my own mind, silly things. My brothers are 16 months apart. People thought they were twins. Their names are David and Don. They, sh- <laughs> they shared a room, right? There were all these things, even the things they enjoyed versus what I enjoyed. So many bits of information told me that I was different. Uh, and so that sense of being othered mm-hmm. is very familiar yeah, yeah. to me. Uh, and I think why I'm sensitive to making sure that everybody's got a connection point.
1: That's great. I I feel the same way. It's interesting. My
2: my grandmother
1: couldn't was told she couldn't have children, mm-hmm. then she adopted a nephew whose parents were killed in a car accident, and then of course she had, you know, three other kids afterwards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there's something out there for people who can't have children to have the the uh the emotional connection with with a child, might bring other children into the family. Uh, the advocacy work that you do today in the Greater Palm Springs area. How does that compare to your early days in Glad?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's um, it's it's very different, different yet similar. I think the difference is, you know, Glad is really advocating, like, you know, kind of against something, right? And so the work that we do for, as a community center really is in support of something, right? Building something and less about opposing or stopping. Something. And so it's a, it feels to me, my experience is just a different energy going into it. I, my advocacy work, I often felt like I had to bolster myself, <laughs> you know, especially in Utah. First, the opposition campaign to the marriage amendment. Then I was executive director of Equality Utah. And it was me and a part time person, you know, I'm against y- the world, <laughs> against the world, right? Yeah. And I mean, I literally, it was, the year, it was December 2005, and Brokeback Mountain started to come into theaters, and a Mormon gentleman owned all the Megaplex theaters in the Salt Lake Valley, and the movie had premiered at some of those theaters, but then learning the content, he pulled that back.
1: Wasn't so, Sundance in Utah?
2: Sundance is in Park City, yeah. yep. And so... Um, And when he started to pull the movie from theaters, I got a call from the Deseret News, which is the LDS-owned paper, and asked for my response. And I remember verbatim my response was, it's too bad that such a beautiful movie getting award-winning buzz is not being made available to a broad audience because of one man's bias. That's relatively benign. I stopped printing hate emails at 1,000, right? And and so, so I felt very targeted as the token queer person putting myself out there. And that's a hard position to be in. People that do frontline advocacy work have my, you know, full support. And I'm glad I'm no longer one of them.
1: Uh, we, we have uh, similar stories. I don't need to go into my stories here. So tell us about the the center. What are some of the programs you do? What's the mission of it?
2: Yeah. So our mission is creating vibrant community by helping LGBTQ people along their way. And we realize that is very broad, but so are the needs of a very diverse community. And and so um, some of our more significant programs are our Scott Hines Behavioral Health Clinic, and so we've got uh, ten clinicians on staff that see clients uh, in our behavioral health clinic. Individuals, families, uh, couples, and then we also do a lot of group therapy, like bereavement therapy groups, uh, kind of healthy boundary groups, uh, which aren't also uh, aren't easy for any of us. But I think queer identifying people. Um, because that being othered so much sometimes like to cling. And so we've got to learn how to set some healthy boundaries. So um, really uh, proud of uh, that clinic. Then we've got our community food bank that uh, we provide food for those uh, experiencing food insecurity. Um, and then we also have the Center Coachella, which actually started, that work first started in 2016. And we're predominantly working with middle school and high school age um, queer identifying mm-hmm. kids most span speaking and so really proud to have um, now a physical space there for full-time staff that oh. we've grown
0: from the community we'll and, have to do a tour of it because it's a great facility right in the heart of downtown coachella
2: yeah in the former city hall building and so right smack in the middle of coachella and that community has been so, okay, so what kind of resistance did you get
1: I don't know if you were the one responsible for doing that, but what kind of resistance did this center get? Yeah, actually or?
2: not a lot. And really? so the, the beauty of it was how it evolved and it really was relationship and so uh the california endowment was doing a project that it had done in many communities across the state building healthy communities this particular one building healthy communities coachella the the purpose of the project was to understand what does this community need from itself Mm -hmm. to be sustainable and thrive And a function of that was this youth participatory (laughs) action research where young people worked with researchers and they identified their priorities for their community to thrive, young people. And within that, there were a number of LGBT-identifying young people that said, we need these things. We were then invited, and I was told very specifically, we're not interested in White West Valley coming to Brown East Valley to solve (laughs) our problems. I'm like awesome. We don't want to. Yeah. Right? We want to participate alongside. We want to where invited participate with, and then solve issues where invited based on our. So that that was kind of where I was leading to with that question. Uh, you divided it in terms of
1: of color, but I think there's a different way for me to understand that the you know Coachella Valley is a diverse but it's very segregated community. Yes. Uh, with Palm Springs being what I've been told, you know, more respectful to the alternative community, um, and we go conservative the farther east we go. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, that's kind of my takeaway from it. So I'm glad that you didn't have much resistance. Uh, was there resistance on the other side of the of the map in terms of why are you from Palm Springs? Why are you in Palm Springs going out into Coachella valley,
2: yeah, right? well, I think uh, I don't know that there was resistance as much as a lack of understanding, right. right? And so depending on the level of privilege that one walks through life with, right, the more privilege, maybe the less understanding, Correct. the less I privilege, mention, right? The, the more understanding that we really need to go to the margins to erase the margins, right? And so right. I, I, I think those living in the far east end of the valley... Um, where resources are limited, even access to fresh food is. You know, there aren't a lot of grocery stores. Once you get past Coachella, people are getting their sustenance at gas stations. So,
1: so this is this is a greater issue: the the uh, food deserts that exist. I just I can't I can't understand. You know why putting up a grocery store in a neighborhood is a problem. You know, everybody
2: buys groceries. Yeah. I I don't understand it either. Um, uh, I don't think it's uh, 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 for this conversation, but I have some very strong opinions as to why. Maybe we'll do another (laughs) another podcast on that. One of the things that Jeff
1: and I try to do with this podcast is to help... Uh, organizations promote what it is that they're doing so do you have any events coming up in the short term
2: um, well our our big event um, sold, uh, out. Is sold out sold <laughs> out so we we now it's I think it was like 3200 tickets that we have for our uh, March 16th Red Dress Dress Red dance party when I first met Jeff it was a few hundred people that yeah. were coming 3200
1: 30, people 3200 people and it's this?
2: it's on the tarmac of the Air Museum so it's a big dance dance party and jeff actually works with us uh on on that event as well um and so uh i'm it is such a celebration of creativity in fact i spoke about it in our weekly newsletter and um for me it's it's my favorite event because it celebrates um the kind of expansive perspective that most queer identifying people have around gender, around creative expression and dance. And for me, finding my way from small town Oklahoma to Chicago after college and going to my first gay bar and not knowing anybody, but just finding the liberation of expression on a dance floor, it was for me, I can be alone in a crowd of people and so incredibly happy with just festive music and dance so you're no longer the other i um not in that space
1: (laughs) well that's that's i mean the way the way you described it was kind of the way i felt the the first time i went to israel yeah i grew up in the midwest yeah uh, not not a large jewish community
2: and the minute i landed in israel I, i felt like i was whole yeah yeah and 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 when we have that experience something in us changes Absolutely. right and so that's really it's empowering and, th- and and thank you for the lead in because that's at the core of what we do yeah. at the center is create spaces where people can experience yeah. wholeness that's beautiful yeah that's really beautiful so how do you get 3200 people on the tarmac
0: at the
1: you move uh, all the planes. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> magic. Without,
0: any, without anybody whacking their head off with the propellers. But well, one of the things that was great when this all came about is Mike said, look, I just want to have an event where everybody is just celebrating who they are. No speeches, no asking for money. This is just a, an event.
2: And it's not an inexpensive event to produce. How much is it for and, a ticket? And but and this is what I'm committed to, is this is an expensive place to live. Housing, food, going out to anything. And so we capped it at $99 for a general admission ticket. Now, we do have VIP tickets that give a different level of access. We have a lot of sponsorships. And fortunately, it's also a very generous community. So that really covers the bulk of our cost so that we really can have an event that is accessible to many so people it, it's not really an event
1: that funds
2: your annual campaign um, it, it, to some degree but not significantly yeah. so but it, to me it's a goodwill event that creates awareness that then people are like what's the center about and then it gives me an opportunity to have conversations like what we're having and people say oh you're about creating pe- spaces for people
0: to experience wholeness I I can get behind that. Yeah. Absolutely. Why yeah. not? And to have yeah. a community. You know, we talk about gated communities and people feeling alone, food insecurity, all that. This gives the center an opportunity. Share a couple of the other yeah. important yeah. programs because yeah. you have so many. Yeah. And,
2: and, and really, so in our 2017 strategic plan, we identified our three strategic initiatives that still uh, kind of are guide our work the core being ending isolation and loneliness, right? Then connecting people to resources and community, and then enriching our individual and collective experience. But last summer, when the U.S. Surgeon General called loneliness an epidemic, and then in the fall, the World Health Organization formed their commission on connection, highlighting the issue—the global issue of loneliness, right? We feel pretty proud of our work because underneath it all is this creating meaningful connection. And so everything we do is about that. We're becoming much more intentional in how we do that. So it's interesting you bring up the loneliness piece. So I just finished reading a
1: book called The Genius of Israel. And one of the chapters they talked about was Israel's rated prior to October the seventh as one of the fourth happiest countries in the Mm. world. And part of it is the inclusion of society. Uh, And I know it's very true as an outsider being in Israel that a very open and welcoming community on all levels but loneliness is something that surprises me uh, but part of it comes from the lack of of community and you talked about gated communities uh, when my wife and I decided to find a place to live here in the valley, we purposely said we don't want to be in a gated community we want to see our neighbors walk by we want to walk by and be free and be close to some, some activity uh, loneliness, we should talk more about that at another time but there's a uh, another book that I, I can't remember the title of or the author, but it's about happiness mm-hmm. and that if, when you are with people,
2: yeah. you're happier and you're healthier. Yeah. There's a great Harvard study about happiness that points that out, but I, I do want to mention one thing we, we it's, it's easy to confuse proximity with community. I talk about this a lot. Uh, help and me under, I don't and so, you know. Um, you know, for many queer identifying people, Let's, I want to go to Palm Springs because the number of gay people that are there. But just the fact that we live in the same zip code doesn't mean that we have connection with each well, other. Right? right? And so how do we move past just sharing space and then share a connection? Right. So that's what I'm interested in is moving beyond proximity to community.
1: Well, we parallel that because one of the most common questions I get from most people is how many Jews are there in the Coachella Valley? Now, the proximity issue, I don't I have no idea. I, mean, I have an estimation of, you know, a number, but it's not scientifically significant. But why, why are numbers, why is proximity important to people? It's to build community. Yeah. So that's one of our goals. And I get um, pushed around a little bit because when I do these podcasts, I don't ever talk about the Federation or myself, but there's so many parallels mm. between what you're doing at the center and the Federation. Our three primary goals are caring for the vulnerable, similar mm-hmm. to what you're doing, mm-hmm. strengthening community, mm-hmm. you're doing something mm-hmm. similar. Uh, and the part that's different is um, uh, helping Jews around the world, mm-hmm. uh, having that global peace and right now with Israel. So there's some parallels with what you're doing and what we're doing. The words might be different, uh, but the work is the same. I, I, I want to thank you for coming. This has been a great conversation, mm. and, and we should do this again yeah mm-hmm. but any
0: final things you want to share the um, website well, how people can find you
2: the dot um thank you for that and also on socials uh the center cv um mm-hmm. but th- thank you for the invitation right it, uh it, opportunities for connection are what make my heart its happiest so well, thank you for this thank you for yep. coming thank you jeff
0: this has been Getting to Know You. Thank you to Mike Thompson for being here today. And thank you to all of you for listening. This podcast can be found on Apple Podcast and other podcast forums.
1: Jeff, thank you again.